Well, in 2001, after I became a Christian, I told my dad my decision. He hit the roof, and he resolved to hunt down the person who converted me. He insisted I give up the name of the man who robbed him of his son. Without hesitation and in all honesty, I gave my dad the name. I said, Dad, his name is Jesus Christ. When my dad finally realized that I was referring to the Jesus Christ in the Bible and not an Australian church pastor with the same name, he hit the roof again. He thought that I was mocking him. Like my dad, many people today do not understand that Jesus Christ is truly the person on whom Christianity centers. Who he is and what he has done is what makes Christians Christians. Jesus is the person whom Christians love and Christians worship. Here in SMAC, we've been studying the Gospel of Luke in the past few weeks. Luke's objective of writing this Gospel is to give us an organized and reliable account of the life of Jesus Christ. He's at the center. He wants us to understand who Jesus is and what he has come to do. This sounds simple, and it is, because the Bible makes it very clear. But many today, including many churchgoers, still get this wrong, who Jesus is and what he has come to do. How about you? Who do you think Jesus is, and what do you think he came to do? Well, in today's passage, Luke is simply trying to tell us this, that Jesus is a true son of God who has come to rescue mankind. But many will not be rescued. Let's take a look at the passage together. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Take a look at verse 14. It says... And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in the synagogues, being glorified by all. We see here that Luke begins this section describing Jesus as one who returned in the power of the Spirit. This reminds us of what Luke has been saying about Jesus all this while the mention of the Spirit brings us right back to Jesus' baptism that we have seen. At the baptism, the Spirit descended on Jesus. God's voice affirmed that this man, this man here, is his son. Following the baptism, Luke immediately traced for us Jesus' family tree, which ended by saying Jesus is the son of Adam, the son of God. Luke is trying to tell us here that Jesus is descended from Adam, and he shares Adam's sonship. However, Luke is also very quick to tell us that Jesus is a very different kind of son compared to Adam. Luke made this clear through the temptation account that we saw last week. The Spirit led Jesus in the wilderness. Just as Adam was tempted in the garden, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the devil. But unlike Adam, this son of God, Jesus Christ, demonstrated what a true son of God should be like. Jesus took God's word seriously, we saw. He resisted the devil's temptation. He trusted God. He worshipped God. And he was humble before God. In other words, Jesus was truly a son of God. 
For he did what all sons of God ought to do, that is, treating God as God, for they are sons of God. Luke wants us to remember this, that this is the Jesus, the true Son of God, whom we will be hearing him speaking in Nazareth today. So let's take a look at what happens in Nazareth. Chapter 4, verse 16. And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to be proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Here we find Jesus reading from the Old Testament. If you turn your Bible to Isaiah 61, you can actually find these verses there. Isaiah is written way before Jesus was born. It talks about a time when Israel was in exile in Babylon. If you are not familiar with the exile and this is new to you, it's the first time that you hear of it, can I encourage you that you must go home and do some catch-up reading on the Old Testament. Start with two kings. That would be a good place to start. For you see, the exile is one of the most important events in the entire Old Testament, if not in the entire Bible. About 60% 60 of the entire Old Testament was written around the time of exile. And an understanding of the exile is very crucial for us to understand today's passage. So let me tell you briefly about the exile. God's people, the Israelites, were once a very strong nation because God blessed the Jews according to the promises that he had made to their forefathers, to Abraham and to David. Eventually, under King Solomon, Israel was at the pinnacle of God's blessing. God was present with them in the temple. God gave Solomon great wisdom to rule the nation. Israel was living in prosperity in the promised land. But it didn't last long. Israel and her kings rebelled against God. God punished them and kicked them out of the promised land. They lost the temple, a symbol of God's presence with them. And so they were in exile, both physically as well as spiritually. This was indeed a very, very, very dark and terrible period of Israel's history. The book of Lamentations and all the prophets in the Bible attest to that, a terrible period. So these verses that we see here in Luke, Isaiah 61, came then as good news to the exiles. God promised to rescue Israel from the exile. God said a time will come when the captives will be set free. The oppressed will be released. And indeed, in 538 BC, about 50 years later, Israel did return from exile. But God's promise of what he would do when he rescued Israel is far from being fulfilled. For the prophet spoke of much greater things. So the Jews, during Jesus' time, the Israelites, they understood that. 
they understood that their exile has not really come to an end. And they were still waiting for the fulfillment of God's great promises. And then we saw this morning, Jesus came along. He went into the Jewish synagogue. He took out the Old Testament scroll. He read God's promises to the Jewish exile that is found in Isaiah 61. And then he rolled up the scroll. And then he gave it back to the attendant. And then he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on Jesus. And then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What does that mean? Basically, Jesus was saying that I am he that you Jews have been waiting for that Isaiah 61 spoke about. I'm he whom God has appointed to proclaim good news to the poor. I'm he who have come now to rescue God's people from their exile. So who is Jesus and what he has come to do? Well, we we have very clear statements here from Jesus himself of what he understood about what he came to do. Jesus didn't come as a moral teacher. He didn't come to be a self-help guru. No, Jesus said he came to rescue Israel from the exile. He came to do what God had promised to do in Isaiah 61 for the Jews. You follow. But the question is, if Jesus came to rescue Israel from the exile, does it mean that what he did was just for the Jews and has nothing to do with you and me at all? Not at all. It has everything to do with us. And this is what you need to understand. You see, Israel's exile is just a model of a greater exile. Israel's exile is just a picture of humanity's fall and humanity's exile from the Garden of Eden at the beginning of history. So when Jesus says that he has come to rescue God's people from the exile, what he's actually saying is that he has come to rescue mankind from the fall of humanity. He has come to rescue people from the consequences of that fall. That is, Jesus says he has come. When Jesus says that he has come to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set the oppressed free, Jesus was not referring only to a portion of mankind, namely those who are literally financially poor or those who are literally held as prisoners by oppressive regimes. No, he didn't mean that. For if that were the case, if, that, if those were her, his only target audience, he wouldn't have gone for the rich like Joanna and Susanna in Luke 8. He would have freed John the Baptist from the prison. No, Jesus was referring to all mankind who are oppressed and made spiritually poor and blind by Satan. He was referring to all mankind who have been exiled from the garden and now live under Satan's rule. This morning, Genesis 3 was read to us in full, and I make sure that it was read in full to us. For it is one of the most important pieces of writing, not in the church, but in the whole of human history. 
For it helps us to make perfect sense of the world that you and I live in today. It records for us how Adam and Eve, the parents of human race, were lured by Satan and rebelled against God. As a result, they and through them, all humanity were doomed to die. In Genesis, we saw Adam and Eve being exiled from the garden that God made for them. They were cast out of God's presence and the world itself was cursed. And this is a so-called fall of humanity that the Bible describes. And this fall of humanity, of mankind, is our fundamental problem as mankind. Meaning, whatever miseries that we see today, death, disaster, disease, famine, and war, are just symptoms of this deeper underlying problem that started all the way back in Genesis 3. You can try this over morning tea. Find a misery that we, we, we experience today, that we have seen, and see whether you can trace it all the way back to Genesis 3. As a result of that fall, humanity has been under Satan's domination. We see this in Scripture. Last week in Luke chapter 4, Satan said, All the kingdoms of the world he can give to whom he wills. Why? For they have been delivered to him. Similarly, in 1 John chapter 5, it says, The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. In John 14, Jesus himself said, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. Ephesians 2 speaks of the same thing, that the world is under Satan's rule. In summary, as a result of Adam's fall and his failure to resist the devil's temptation in the garden, mankind has been exiled from the garden. Mankind has been under Satan's domination. You see, what we saw in Genesis 3, the fall that took place at the beginning of history, was the worst, the most tragic, the most horrible, and the most terrible event in human history. It brought us to this terrible, horrible exile that you and I are living and suffering in today. We cannot but listen to Satan, and we sin every day. But very often, it is very difficult for us to see the fall as terrible as it is. For many times, we become accustomed to the consequence of the fall that we see around us. We become hardened and oblivious to the fall. In fact, we see ourselves and the terrible fallen world that we live in today many a times as normal. Think about it this way. We just read Lamentations last year, or is that this year? Time flies. Anyway, we read Lamentations and we have been reading the prophets. Ask yourself, do you find Israel's exile horrible? You did find it horrible, isn't it? They were, being out, they were out of God's blessing. They were out of God's land. They were out of his presence. It was terrible. It was a very dark and horrifying period of Israel's history. But here's the thing. Israel's exile was just a model, a picture of the greater exile, the exile of humanity from the garden 
Now, if the model was horrifying, how much more horrifying do you think the greater exile is that we have failed to see? And once in a while, we do get a clearer glimpse, a clearer realization of how horrible our exile is. My family seldom buy the papers nowadays, we read online. But last week, Vivian bought the papers, so I read. And as we all know, it is full of stories concerning MH17. And just like you, and just like all the Malaysians and all the people around the world, I found it very difficult to read through the papers. Pages after pages of tragic stories of families that will bring you to tears. But that wasn't the worst part of the morning. After I ploughed through almost ten, almost 10 painful pages of MH17 stories, it finally stopped. I read on, and what did I find? Let me share with you some of the headlines. Uncle Sim wants to move on and urges Malaysian to forgive road bully. Fugitive back in court to face charges of raping teens. Suspected militants' case to be heard in special court. Typhoon Ramesses make landfall in China. Indonesian exports minister jailed for multi-million corruption. Bolivia legalizes child labor for kids from age 10. Nine security personnel killed in Pakistan unrest. 40 signal caused train crash in Paris. Israel deepens push into Gaza. That's one section of the newspaper. Friends, the Bible tells us that such a corrupted world, ruled by Satan, is not normal at all. It is a fallen world, a world fallen from where it should be, the way that God wants it and made it to be. So who is Jesus and what has he come to do? Jesus is the true son of God, who has come to rescue mankind from that fall, to fulfill God's Old Testament promises of blessing and restoring everything that has been lost in the fall. And his rescue will include rescuing us from Satan's oppression. Can you see now why last week's episode was so essential? For by his decisive victory over Satan's temptation, Jesus has proven and has shown us that he has the credential to do the job. To the, do the job of rescuing humanity from the exile, rescuing humanity from Satan's oppression. Now, Jesus came to be the solution to mankind's problem. That's what we have seen so far. Shouldn't that be good news for everyone, do you think? He came for all of us, every single human being. Wouldn't everyone want to be rescued by Jesus? Regardless of race, language, or social economic status, we are all like Adam, we have all sinned, we are all fallen, we are all suffering together in the exile, we are all under Satan's oppression. Wouldn't you want to be rescued by Jesus? Well, the rest of today's passage tells us this, that yes, Jesus did come 
to rescue mankind, but many will not be rescued. Let's take a look at the rest of the passage. The Jews in the synagogue in Nazareth seemingly received Jesus positively, seemingly. Verse 22, it says, they spoke well of him. They marveled at his gracious words. But Jesus saw right through them and through their hearts. He perceived their rejection, and he was proven right. For they sought to kill him the moment he said something that they didn't want to hear. They challenged Jesus to perform miracles that he performed earlier. For they did not believe in Jesus. To them, Jesus was just the son of Joseph, not the son of God. But Jesus wasn't surprised by the rejection at all. For he knew that no prophet is acceptable in their own hometown, in his own hometown. And he knew in the Old Testament that Gentiles were often blessed instead of the Jews. Jesus pointed them to 1 Kings 17. For those of you who want to refer, it's 1 Kings 17, verse 7 to 16. You can take a read. In 1 Kings 17, we see God sending Elijah to miraculously feed a widow and a son during a great time of famine that Israel is suffering for their sins. However, both of them that, Jesus, that God saved were not Jews. They were Gentiles. So the point is this. While Jews reject Jesus and forfeit their salvation, Gentiles will be blessed. Jesus has come not just for the Jews, but he has come for all humankind. But this does not mean that everyone will benefit from his offer of rescue. Who will benefit? It is only those who acknowledge that they are poor and in captivity who will accept Jesus and his offering. Jesus has come to rescue mankind, but not all will be rescued, for there will be those who reject him, those who do not find that they are in captivity and they are in need and are poor and in need of Jesus. Well, we have seen today from today's passage, that Luke is simply trying to tell us this. That's the big point of today's passage. Jesus has come to rescue mankind, humanity. He has come to rescue us from the fall, from the consequences, all the consequences that we experience today of that fall. He has come to rescue us from the oppression of Satan. For Jesus is the true Son of God, through whom God is going to and will fulfill his promises that he has made. God will bless the world and restore everything that was lost in the fall. It will be a world where everyone can live eternally. No point living in an eternal world that is rotten, but it is a world that is perfect, that everyone will live eternally. Our relationship will be restored to God we will enjoy a wonderful relationship with one another as well as with our God. This is what Jesus came to do. He has come to rescue mankind and restore us to the fall. Is this how 
you have been viewing Jesus all this while. Is this the Jesus that you have in your mind? Or is your Jesus a Jesus who is here to solve little problems of self-help, a self-help guru, a guru that motivates you? Today we have seen very clearly that this is Jesus. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the clarity of the scripture in showing us who we are and who Jesus is and what he has come to do. Father, we thank you that Jesus has come to rescue us from the fall, our rebellion against you, our rejection of you as our God, from our sins of self-destruction, destroying not only our own lives, but the lives of the people around us. Father, we see clear manifestation of this rebellion every day, if not in the papers, but in the lives of those around us. Father, our world is under the oppression of Satan. Our world is listening to the lies of Satan. Our world is doing what Satan wants them to do, to reject you and to worship him. But Father, we thank you that you have not left us on our own to our self-destruction, but you have sent your one and only Son, our Lord Jesus, to fulfill all the promises that you have made in the Old Testament that you will bless the world, you will restore us to yourself, our God. And we do thank you, Father, that in the cross, our Lord Jesus, through his death, has defeated Satan once and for all. By his blood that has been shed, forgiveness has been achieved, and now we can be reconciled to you by faith. We thank you for this message that you've given to us as a church, and you pray, we pray, Father, that you give us clarity of the urgency and the greatness and the vastness of this salvation, that we will indeed bring this good news to all around us who are suffering. Father, we pray for those among us today who walk into this room having a wrong impression and a wrong idea and therefore a wrong response and a wrong attitude to Jesus. We pray, Father, that by your Spirit, through your word today, that you will once again convict them that Jesus is Lord and King and that they will humbly recognize that they are poor and that they are blind and that they need Jesus to rescue them and that by faith they will acknowledge that they are sinners and be rescued. And we thank you, Father, for the work of your Spirit amongst us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.